Our story this Sunday, our Sunday school story this Sunday is that of Doubting Thomas, John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. This is actually very good timing for this Sunday school lesson. This Sunday, the Sunday after Easter, was the Sunday when Jesus appeared to Thomas. Uh, we normally would have this as a gospel reading this Sunday as well, and I may have even been preaching it on this Sunday, but we have a guest uh, speaker uh, this Sunday, so we won't be reading this or speaking about it this Sunday, although normally we would be. The title of the Sunday School Listen is Doubting Thomas, and of course, that's a very important part of this Sunday School Lesson. Nevertheless, there is quite a bit of other things going on here as well. We have the bodily appearance of Jesus and uh, the nature of Jesus' body after the resurrection. Very important to talk about. We also have the giving of the ministry of the keys, uh, the authority to forgive sins. Uh, not something we want to pass over lightly as well. Law and gospel, if you want to focus on Thomas, of course, uh, the law would be that in our natural sinful state, we very rarely believe Jesus' word, even though he offers us such great news that he has risen from the dead and, and our sins are forgiven. We find it hard to believe God would do such a thing for us, that even such a thing is possible. We often doubt God as Thomas did. The gospel is not only that Jesus has risen and our sins are forgiven, but also also, the lengths to which Jesus willingly and gladly goes to to reassure Thomas's and our own doubt. He, he doesn't dismiss Thomas because of his doubt, but he reaches out to him in love and gives Thomas what he needs to believe so that he might be saved. Verse 19, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. There's two things. First of all, the fact that the doors were shut, and later, a week later, when Jesus appears to Thomas, the, the doors were indeed even locked, and yet Jesus appears through the doors as it was without any problem. Nevertheless, he shows them his hand and his side. From the other gospel accounts, we know that he even ate and drank to prove that his body was a real body. So his body is a real, true human body. It's not a spirit. It's not a ghost. But nevertheless, it's a glorified body that doesn't have any problems appearing where it wills and passing through the doors. There are many people in this world, and in fact, a large population of the world, which believe that anything that is physical is evil and is bad, and only that which is spiritual is good. Uh, there are many Eastern religions that teach that man was first created as a spirit and then his spirit somehow got trapped the spirit which is good somehow got trapped in a physical form which is evil and the goal of our life is to escape the physical form so we can escape evil unfortunately a lot of people have brought this same idea into christianity and one can understand how not reading paul's letters correctly they can get this idea that the flesh is evil Jesus, john sorry paul talks about uh, the flesh being evil but the the spirit being good 
blood. However, he's not using the term flesh and spirit in the way that we're used to it there. He's not talking about the body versus the soul. And here in Jesus' resurrection, we see this very clearly. When Jesus rose from the dead, it was a bodily resurrection. It wasn't just spirit. The grave was empty. The body appears with the holes in the hand. Uh, he eats and he drinks to show that it is a real true human body. It is not the flesh which is evil. It's not the body which is evil, but the but the, the body and soul together, the whole human being has been corrupted by sin. God made the body good in the very beginning. And when we're risen on the last day, we will be raised body and soul just as Jesus was. Not the flesh itself does not corrupt, but the sin that man engages in. And Jesus himself shared in the flesh. He became incarnate. He chose to receive a body but without sin again it, it's not the the flesh that corrupts so we have to understand that correctly that uh, the body isn't evil it's the sin that has infected both the body and soul and that we are born with that that is evil and so jesus redeems not only the soul but he redeems the whole person body and soul by his resurrection the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And it's important to note at this point that the disciples here are more than Peter. They're certainly more than just Peter. And they're more than uh, even the 12. Of course, uh, Judas committed suicide and Thomas isn't there. So there's, there's probably 10 of the 12 there, but there are others as well. We know, for instance, for in fact, that the Emmaus disciples came back and were present this evening when Jesus appeared to the disciples. And at least one of the Emmaus disciples was not one of the apostles, uh, Cleopas, right? He, he's not one of the apostles, and, and possibly both of the Emmaus disciples are not uh, of the apostles. So it's important that we recognize right away here in verse 20 that when the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, this is more than just the twelve. The women were probably with them. There are probably others who believed as well. Verse 21, so Jesus said to them, again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Notice the Father sent him in the world to bear witness to the truth, uh, to bear witness to the truth of who he was, the truth of where he came from, the truth of the Father. And Jesus came in the world, shared that truth with the apostles, spent three years with them, teaching them all things right? And then died for our sins, rose again, and pretty soon he's going to ascend into heaven. But as the Father sent him, so he also now sends the apostles to share that word with the rest of the world. Uh, he, he is not, the preaching of the word is not done, uh, but now continues through those 12 apostles and through the, the those whom the, these disciples uh, shared that word with. However, in order to accomplish this task, their apostles are going to need a lot of help. We know how that when Jesus was alive and with them on this earth, all the mistakes they made and their slowness to believe and all the other problems they had, we can see ourselves, of course, in that in those disciples, our own mistakes and follies and failings. So the uh, apostles and the disciples are also going to need a lot of help. And so in verse 22, Jesus gives them the help they need to fulfill the mission he sent them on. And when he had said these things, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. The breathing on them is very important. The Holy Spirit is intricately connected with breath. 
In both the Hebrew and the Greek, the word for breath and wind and spirit are all one. Uh, and so the, the breathing on them is the physical demonstration of receiving that spirit from Jesus. And of, and of course, we could go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. God breathed into man the life, the breath of life. And that breath of life was the power of the Holy Spirit that made us alive in the first place. And so here now he is making us alive by giving us once again the breath of life, uh, the, the breath of life which enlivens and quickens our spirit so that we are alive in truth, uh, not just in body. Our spirits are alive and we have that relationship to God. We receive the Holy Spirit through that breath. And of course, coming up on the day of Pentecost, once again, there's going to be that great wind symbolizing the coming of the Holy Spirit. So this, this breathing on them is a very intricate part of that receiving the Holy Spirit, that giving of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's symbolic, of course, yes, but it's the, the symbolism that is always there with the, with the giving of the Holy Spirit. And now, because they've received this helper who's going to help them in this mission of proclaiming God's word, they also have, verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, way uh, back in the, in the gospel of of Matthew, of course, in Matthew 16, verses 16 to 19, Jesus had already told his disciples this, that, that they had the right to forgive sins in his name, that they received the Holy Spirit. However, in Matthew 16, it could be read, if you want to misread it, uh, to be referring only to Peter, and that, of course, is the way the Catholic Church reads it. This refers only to Peter. However, here in John 20, it's clearly not only Peter. It's the plural you. It's too bad the English doesn't make a distinction between between the plural use of the word you and the singular use, you know, if I'm talking just to one individual you, or if I'm talking to a group you, it's the same word in English, but there is a difference in the Greek. And here the you is very definitely plural. It's all of the disciples, and it's not just the 12. It's not just Peter, it's not just the 12. It's all the disciples, even probably there are women there with him. And all who believe in Jesus receive the Holy Spirit, and all who receive the Holy Spirit have this authority to forgive the sins, as long as we do it in the stead and by the command of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. This, of course, is what we refer to as the ministry of the keys. By forgiving the sins of people, we unlock the doors to heaven. When people's sins are forgiven, they get to go to heaven. And that's the wonderful news of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so by forgiving their sins, we are unlocking the doors of heaven. And on very rare occasions, unfortunately, we do have to do it sometimes, but on very rare occasions, we retain the sins of any. That is, we tell them that their sins are not forgiven because they refuse to repent of them. And by doing so, doing we lock the kingdom of heaven. So we have the keys to heaven. They're not only given to the Pope. They're not only given to Peter. They're given to all who believe the right to announce the forgiveness of sins. We do this in a very general way. Whenever we speak to people about Jesus, whenever we preach the gospel, we're letting people know, whoever happens to be listening, that the way to heaven is open, that the sins are forgiven through Jesus. And so we are using the keys in a general way in the preaching of the gospel. We use it in a very specific way in confession and absolution when people confess their sins and we, uh, me as the pastor especially, lets them know their sins are forgiven, uh, but also all believers uh, letting people know when they admit they're, they're sinful and when they confess their sins, letting them know they're forgiven. We use those keys in a specific way. So here we have the giving of the ministry, the keys. So important as I tell my confirmation kids, we have a superpower. And that's not even 
joking we really do have a superpower uh, a superpower greater than any of the powers of any of the superheroes that we see that in the marvel or dc comics right we have the ability to announce the forgiveness of sins to unlock the door to heaven and to let people in unfortunately there are uh, many christians who don't believe we really can do that who still insist only jesus can forgive sins they don't recognize the truth that that jesus has given that authority to us so that we can do it uh, we in the lutheran church prize heavily this ability and make use of it every sunday uh, with the confession and absolution by which we begin our services and we don't simply say your sins are forgiven but i as the pastor say in the name and by the stead of our and by the command of our lord and jesus christ i forgive you your sins using that power that god has given to his church to all of of his disciples verse 24 now tom thomas called the twin one of the twelve was not with them when jesus came the other disciples therefore said to him we have seen the lord so he said to them unless i see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the prints of his nails and put my hand into his side i will not believe now for this reason of course thomas is often called doubting thomas because he's the one who doubts but of course the other disciples didn't really believe the women either so really they should all be called be called doubting none of them really believed until they saw jesus for themselves and we can surely and truly understand why if we were in thomas's place how we might give into the same doubt and temptation of thomas how reluctant we might believe uh, we might be to to believe in jesus until we've seen him ourselves so really rather than looking down on or discrediting thomas we really should give credit to what thomas did and what he became yes he did at first doubt but later he believed and he believed fervently and in fact he went to india preaching god's word all throughout the southern part of the indian continent and died a martyr death he's really an example for us and we really should should stress that what uh, thomas did afterwards as all the uh, all the apostles uh, before they believed before they saw jesus alive they were all very doubtful and and not very good at being apostles but it's only afterwards when they see jesus living and then even more importantly when they receive the holy spirit that they go out and proclaim the gospel and so thomas as well we we really should um hold him up as the example that he ought to be for us in, in dedicating his life to jesus and i actually have a lot of pictures from chennai chennai is the city where thomas died uh, he was martyred and there's quite a bit there in the city uh, quite a bit of history that surrounds thomas I, I have a lot of pictures of that i'll try and remember to send you a link uh, to some of those pictures you can use them in your sunday school lesson if you want anyway he's not going to believe unless he's actually able to put his fingers into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side verse 26 after eight days his disciples were again inside and thomas with them jesus came the doors being shut and stood in their midst and said peace to you we have to remember that after eight days means one week later this is the jewish ways of counting this is the jewish way of counting days in which they count the day they're on so you start with Easter Sunday, that's day one, and then Monday is day two, Tuesday day three, so on and so forth. When you get to the next Sunday, it's the eighth day. So at first we might think eight days later, that would be you know the next Monday, but it's not actually, it's the next Sunday. Uh, so the Sunday after Easter Sunday is what's going on here. And they're again inside and Thomas is with them and Jesus appears to them and he says, peace to you as he does every time verse 27 then he said to thomas reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side do not be unbelieving but believing and thomas answered and said to him my lord and my god so 
Jesus reaches out to Thomas and gives him the very thing that Thomas asked for. I, I can't believe that. I can't believe that unless I see Jesus for myself. And there's a lesson here for us about Jesus' mercy and grace that when we doubt, which we do sometimes, uh, maybe not doubt his resurrection, although sometimes we might doubt that too, but when we have other doubts about God and about his promises, you know, we can be bold, as the, as the letter to Hebrews tells us, we can be bold to come before the throne of grace in our need, in our desire, and to say, uh, Jesus, I'm having a tough time with this. You know what could really help me to believe? We might be tempted to think that, well, Jesus is going to be angry for us for our doubts. But remember, he's our high priest who can sympathize with all our weaknesses. He knows what we're going through. He knows the doubts and difficulties of our life. And as Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless, you know, he comes and he does this and this. And in his mercy and his grace, Jesus comes and gives him the very thing he asked for. So we also can come boldly before God's throne with even even with our doubts, asking Jesus, you know, I, I really need strength. I really need this. I really need that. Uh, and Jesus very well might answer us. We cer he certainly is not going to send a lightning bolt to kill us uh, because we have doubts, because we have weaknesses. He, he's our high priest who sympathizes with us in that weakness, and we can, we can find that comfort. We can gladly come before him. Notice also Thomas's answer, my Lord and my God. Jesus isn't just his Lord, his master, his teacher, but my God. And so the, the deity and the truth that Jesus is true God is emphasized there in Thomas's answer. And Jesus does not discredit or, or say that Thomas was wrong. And if Jesus Thomas had been wrong to call him my God, Jesus certainly would have rebuked him, but he doesn't. From the very beginning, the disciples, the apostles, recognized Jesus as true God, not just as a man and as a savior who had come into this world. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so even though Jesus in his grace and his mercy comes and shows himself to Thomas, he nevertheless points out that blessed are those who have not seen and yet have belief, who believe based on the word. Now, this isn't because Jesus is condemning Thomas or or rebuking him, but Jesus is encouraging us to believe the word of God and to put our faith and trust in that. If we believe only that which we see and touch and taste, if we believe only that which we, uh, you know, touch with our senses, we are going to have a very difficult time in our life of faith because there is much, even if Jesus were to appear to us physically and bodily as he did to Thomas, there's much about what he says and teaches us. There's much about heaven. There's much about our faith which cannot be touched, right? And so learning to put our faith in God's word and to trust the word that Jesus speaks to us, just to trust that what Jesus tells us is truth, is really going to give us kind of our, a head start in our life of faith and, and make our life a lot easier if we're only going to believe when we can actually see and touch we're going to have a lot of doubts and a lot of difficulties in our life of faith. Much better to, to place our trust in the word of God. And this reminds us what Jesus even said to Mary, do not cling to me. What he was saying was do not cling to this physical form because pretty soon this physical form is not going to be here. But put your trust and your faith in the word of God, which is truth. And John is going to, is going to go on and remind us of this in the very next verses. Verse 30, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this 
book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So John says, here is that very book, that very word of God, which strengthens our faith, which makes it clear that Jesus was the Messiah, that he died for our sins and rose again, that he is true man and true God, that he has ascended into heaven and is watching over us, that he is our good shepherd. All these things were written so that we may believe in his name. And notice uh, John's comment there that there's so many other things he could have written, but you know he, he's trying to keep it short for our sakes. He, we don't have, he doesn't have uh, access to all the books and all the paper of the world. So he tells us what we need to know for our, for our faith and for our life in Jesus, even though there's a lot of other things that Jesus did, which he couldn't fit into this one gospel account. My Lord and my God, that confession of Thomas is really the most important thing about the story of Thomas. Yeah, he doubts like we all do, but the Lord appears to him and he confesses that faith, my Lord and my God, and he lives the rest of his life in that confession. As we heard in our Good Friday sermon, let us stand firm in our confession of faith, even unto the end. And so with John, with the Apostle John here, we also hear, we hear the word and we believe because the Holy Spirit has entered our hearts uh, to give us that power to believe that word of God and to put our faith in it. Lord's blessings on your Sunday school lesson. Again, I'll share some of those pictures from, from Chennai with you. If you have any thought, any questions, uh, feel free to let me know.